Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. in your homes, if you would, take out your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to start at verse 3 and we're going to go to verse 10. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 10. 1 Corinthians is about two-thirds of the way, maybe three-quarters of the way through your Bible. So flip on back toward the back and let's hear what Paul has written to the church. He says, beginning with verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, Then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they... So we preached, and you believed. Do you remember the first sentence of what Pastor Austin read to us just a little while ago? From the book of Isaiah, it says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? I wonder that sometimes, as Christians. Who has believed what you've heard from us? Why do you even listen to us? Why would you even care? <clears throat> this morning, I know that Predominantly, the people that are listening this morning are Christians, but maybe there are some that are not Christians that are tuning in, see what it's all about. It's Easter. You're supposed to go to church, right? Why would you listen to us? I mean, why would you listen to us? And for those of you who are Christians who are members of the First Baptist Church of Gray, why would anybody listen to us? Now, I think I can build a pretty decent case on one hand Um, Christians have done a lot of good things. We give billions of dollars every year through the church to do things all over the world. Now, you might think that, um, uh, you know, a lot of it goes to overhead, a lot of it does. I mean, you've got to keep this place running. You've got electric bills that have to be paid, heat in the wintertime, air conditioning in the summertime. You've got salaries to pay. You've got all that kind of stuff. But even after that, we give an awful lot of money to do an awful lot of good things. My grandfather, if I'm remembering the story correctly, and I think I am, my grandfather died in a Catholic hospice in Atlanta. They didn't charge us a penny. And my granddaddy was a good old Baptist. He wasn't Catholic, wasn't even close to Catholic. And yet, there he was being ministered to by a Catholic organization. If... um. If you think about it right now, you've seen on television where Samaritan's Purse has gone to New York 
set up a field hospital there to help care, take care of COVID-19 patients. They're doing it on their own dime. If uh, you want to talk about homelessness, you know, the government all the time is talking about homelessness and what we need to do and, and, and how we can cure homelessness. If you want to know how to take care of homelessness, go to the Salvation Army. Salvation Army has been doing it for years, and they have done an excellent, excellent job. And then there are other organizations that are smaller around in all kinds of different places, like the Macon Rescue Mission. Macon Rescue Mission has been helping men who were addicted, who are homeless, break free of that addiction to get jobs and to establish themselves so they can have a, a life and have a family. The Macon Rescue Mission has a battered women's shelter so that women that find themselves in abusive relationships can get out with their families and learn not only, not only have a place to go to, but learn how to live a life so that they don't go back into abusive situations so they can be set free. We've got uh, the Colby Center and we've got the other one that's name just drifted right out of my head. But there are, are crisis pregnancy centers. And I know some of you are listening going, yeah, there it goes about abortion again. But no, you don't understand. You don't understand that at these crisis pregnancy centers, these women that work in those crisis pregnancy centers, they hold the hands of these women that come in about to make one of the most difficult decisions of their life. They hold their hands, they cry with them, they hug them, they talk with them, and no matter what decision they make, and that's what I want you to understand, is no matter what decision that they make at all, these women stand by them. They don't throw them away. If they choose abortion, they don't say, well, you go away because you made a bad decision, you're a bad person. They don't do that. They stand with them and hold them. Christians do good things. And you know, there's some folks that tell us how anti-science we are, people in some, some very high places, particularly lately talking about um, evangelical Christians, how anti-science we are. Let me toss out a few names that might ring a bell to you here. Have you ever heard of Francis Bacon or Blaise Pascal or some dude by the name of Galileo? You ever hear of him? How about Isaac Newton or Johannes Kepler? If you are in high school or middle school and you're in science and you're studying genetics, you've heard of the guy by the name of Gregor Mendel. And if you haven't heard of Gregor Mendel, go to your teacher and ask your teacher who he is because he is the father of all this genetics stuff that you're learning. There was Louis Pasteur, there's Joseph Lister, there's George Washington Carver. If that's not good enough, that's all old stuff, well, let's get to the 21st century. There's a guy by the name of Alistair McGrath, and there's a lady by the name of Jennifer Wiseman. I picked her out of this list because she and some other person discovered a comet. You know, I like the space stuff, right? She discovered a comet, and it's got her name on it now. It's the Wiseman something comet. How cool would it be to have a comet named after yourself, right? Well, this lady, 21st century lady, has a comet named after her. You can do the same thing that I did. You can do exactly the same thing that I did. Go to Google and type in... Scientists who are Christians. Don't type in Christian scientists. That's going to pull up something entirely different. Don't want to go there. Type in Christians who are scientists. Christians who are scientists. And you'll find this list. And it's a long list. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a long list. And what's neat is you'll see beside this list just a little sentence or two about what they discovered. 
and what they did. And you know what you're going to find out? When you go through that list, you're going to find out that if Christians were not there, if Christians had not done what Christians had done, this whole world would look a whole lot more primitive than what it looks right now. Because Christians, this is Randy's definition of science. We're trying to find out how God did what he did. And we've got a whole lot of Christians who are trying to find out how God did what he did. We've done a lot of good stuff. Christians have done a tremendous amount of good stuff. But then we're Christians. And we've done a lot of stuff that, you know, we're just not real proud of. Christians are a rum lot. I learned that phrase years ago in high school. I had Miss Fallis for English literature, and I fell in love with it. She was an interesting teacher, but she taught literature, and I fell in love with British lit, and I fell in love with Thomas Hardy, and I read a lot of Thomas Hardy novels, so you kids that are in Brit lit, yeah, you'll live through it, and some of you are going to like this stuff. That's a British phrase, rum lot, and what it means is that we are strange and odd people, and we are. We are strange and odd people. One day you hear about us feeding the poor in all of these places, and the next day you hear about a preacher that builds a $1.7 million house for him and his family to live in. You hear about us going to Africa, and we build all of these clinics all over the place to help these folks overcome the AIDS epidemic, to minister to people, to love people that nobody else will love because they're afflicted with AIDS. And then we turn right around and hear that one of our church leaders has had an affair with their secretary. You hear about us doing, doing things like building an orphanages in some far-flung place from the United States in the middle of nowhere to take care of children that are abandoned by their parents. And the next thing you hear is that one of our Christians has embezzled money from their company. And you go, who would listen to these people? Those of you who aren't Christian, you know Christians. I bet some of them are your friends. And you know what else I bet? I bet some of your Christian friends can outdrink you. <laughs> yes, everybody. I bet they can outdrink you. I bet they can outcuss you. I bet they can outparty you sometimes. I know Christians. I know Christians. We can go to the bar on Saturday night and chase skirts all over the place and go to church next Sunday morning, smelling of stale alcohol and feeling like the Georgia thunderstorms that are about to rumble through here are rumbling through our heads. Yep, that's us. And you know what else I know? I know that I've offended some of the Christians that are listening to this right now too. Some of them I've offended real bad. Because just as much as we can be that way, we can be a sanctimonious and straight-laced group of people who somebody can say, golly gosh, and we will go into paroxysms of self-righteous hyperventilation. Oh, my word. We frown at every joke. If somebody lifts a foot as though they're going to dance, we about pass out cold. It's like we drink vinegar straight out of the bottle at every meal that we eat, that we take. It's, that's how we are. That's how some of us are. We're messed up. When we talk and say that somebody's a few fries shy of a Happy Meal, hello, <laughs> it's us. It's us. It's Christians. 
So why in the name of all that's holy would anybody listen to us? And you know I'm telling the truth. You know I am, Christians. Why would anybody listen to us? And if you're not a Christian, why would you listen to us? Well, I've got two reasons. I've got two reasons that I want us to think about this morning. Reason number one is if you're not a Christian, when you look in the mirror, you see us. When you look in the mirror, you see us. Have you ever looked in the mirror and saw your dad? Whoo, Lordy, first time that happened to me, I thought I was going to pass out. I immediately thought it's time to go, it's time to go home to Jesus. I don't need to grow up looking like my daddy. You've done the same thing with your mama. You've looked in the mirror. You've seen your mama staring back. When, when a non-Christian or person who's not a Christ follower looks in the mirror, you see us. And one of the things that you can say about that is, well, you know what? That just means that you're no better than I am. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to say, you better know that I'm no better than you are. I'll agree with you so fast to make your head spin. I'm no better than you are. I'm absolutely no better than you are. The best one of us, even though we'll walk around sometimes with our nose in the air and act like we're better than you, we're not. And we know it down deep in our heart. We aren't. We're just like everybody. Listen, we have this weird notion in the church that people outside the church are different than us. Let me help us all get over it. We all, everybody that I know, Christian and non-Christian, we all want to know we all want to do good. We all want to do what is right. We all want to be honorable. We all want to be noble. We all want to be just. We all want to be brave. It's just Christians try to do all that, but every now and then we're horses behind. It's just what we do. It's who we are. We don't want to. And when we do those things, we feel guilty about it. We feel wrong. And yet we still do them. And we'll try hard next time so that, that we, we will do better. But you know what happens with Christians? Every time, and you mark my words, every time we fall off the rails. Every last time we fall off the rails. We are no different from anybody else. And yet you know, you know when you're around us, there's something funky about us. You know when you're around us, it's like you smell something different. That there is an oddness around us. And that's the second reason you need to listen to us. Because that smell that you smell, that's the smell of hope. That's the smell of hope. We're not a hopeless people. We have an eternal hope. We have a powerful hope. Or rescue me from darkness and despair hope. It's not a make-believe hope. It's not a concocted hope. You know that dude that said that religion is just a crutch that people use to hold themselves up in difficult times? Let me help you understand about that, something about that dude. He didn't have a clue what he's talking about. He does not have the first idea because he has not experienced the hope that I have. It's not a dream. It's not a wish. It's a hope. It's a singular, one-of-a-kind, unique, save me from my self-destructive self hope. That's what we've got. And you know what? You don't have to do years of Bible study to know this hope. 
You know what else? You don't have to get in some encounter group. I would say and hold hands, but you can't hold hands anymore. So we got to be six feet away. But so it's this gigantic six foot circle, this big gigantic circle with everybody six feet apart where we're all singing kumbaya and having tears in our eyes. You ain't got to do that kind of nonsense because our hope, our hope is a person and his name is Jesus. And you knew that was coming. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you're not a Christ follower, if you don't believe in all this nonsense, that's fine. But you've listened this far. Will you listen to the very end so you let me make my case? And Christians, will you continue to listen for the rest of this so that you can understand why people should listen to us too? In this scripture that I read to you a little while ago, it's written by a guy named Saul who changed his name to Paul. Nobody really knows why he changed his name. Everybody's got an idea. I've got my own idea too. Saul was one of those sanctimonious, straight-laced kind of people that we talked about a minute ago, except he was a Jew. He wasn't a Christian. How sanctimonious was he? How straight-laced, self-righteous was he? Well, let's say, just to give you a, a modern example, you've heard in the news about Muslims in North Africa, across the Middle East, on into Asia, who seek out Christians and execute them, who martyr Christians for their faith. That's not Islamophobia for anybody that might be getting their shorts in a tight right now. That's just fact. Go look at the news. That's what's happening around the world. That's what Paul did, except he was a Jew. He went looking for Christ Christians everywhere he could find them. He wanted to take them to jail. And if they happened to die like Stephen did, being stoned to death in the book of Acts, hey, that's cool. I'll hold your coat. You guys go kill him. That was who Paul was. But Paul one day was going, to, uh, was going on one of his journeys to find some folks. And he met the resurrected Jesus. Now, by resurrected Jesus, that means he was dead and then had come back to life. And he met him in this big blinding experience on this road on his way to go persecute some more people. And as zealous as Paul had been before he met Jesus to get rid of Christians, now he is zealous to make Christians. He's like that guy, and you've all met him. You've all met that guy who was a hell raiser. He was the guy who got drunk, was on drugs, he slept around. You've met the girl that was as promiscuous as promiscuous could come. She was into drugs and alcohol, and then one day she meets Jesus, and like this, before you can say, what in the world happened to you? She's already witnessing to you. You've met those people. That was Paul. That's exactly who Paul was. But his name carried some baggage. I mean, you can think that if, if somebody came up and introduced themselves as Jeffrey Epstein, the first thing you're going to do is step back a bit and go, whoa, no, wait a minute, what was your name again? So if Paul walked up and said, hey, my name is Saul, people are going to do the same thing with him. So he dropped the S, he added the P and boom, there you go. Now he's got an opportunity to talk to people before they have time to get baggage so they won't hear him. Plus, because his name sounds like a Greek name, he gets some people to listen to him that might not otherwise listen to him because, you know, he's just a little Jew boy over here. No, no, he wanted people to listen. He wanted people to listen because he knew that he had what was most important. He said, 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, if you're a member of First Baptist Church of Gray, I hope you heard right there. I hope you heard something that you hear every Sunday morning, just about. Four words that we say, find something, give something, right? Listen to what Paul says here. He says, for I delivered. If I delivered something to you, that means I gave it to you, right? Past tense of give, all right? And then he said, I received. He didn't, he didn't just, he, he received it. He, he found it. It wasn't, I don't even know how to put it into words there. He just found it, okay? So we're gonna go with that. Found is past tense of find. There you go. So we find blank and give blank. What do we find? What do we give? For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. The most important thing that Paul knows is this. Now listen to me and stay with me here, guys. The most important things that he knew is that Jesus died for our sins, number one, According to the scriptures, what Pastor Austin read to us just a few minutes ago from Isaiah 53, almost every biblical scholar believes that that scripture was talking about Jesus, that Isaiah was prophesying, future telling of Jesus who was to come. That was 700 years before Jesus was ever born. Isaiah said, but he was pierced for our transgressions. You remember the spear in his side. He was crushed for our iniquities. Paul says, according to the scriptures, he believed, he believed that because he knew, he knew, listen to me, he knew that God had a plan, that God had a plan. Paul is gonna say later in the book of Galatians, in the book of Galatians, Paul is gonna say later to that church, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. See, here's the deal. God had a plan and he set a timer. You know, you cook something. Some of you have cooked Easter dinner. You're gonna cook it this afternoon. You better not be cooking it right now. You're baking cakes. You're doing all kinds of things. You set a timer. And when the timer goes off, you know it's time to do something, right? Well, God set a timer, if you will, from the very beginning of time. He set a timer. We're going to talk about the reason for the plan in a minute. Let's talk about the plan right now. The most important thing to know is Jesus, that he died for my sins, that he was buried in a tomb, and that he was raised on the third day. It's Easter. It's what we're celebrating. It's why we're here today, right? But now Paul's making an argument, and he wants you to understand that he's not making this up, that this is not a crutch just to make him feel better. It's not something that he's got for himself. He wants you to understand that this actually happened, that Jesus did raise from the dead. So he mentioned six people after that, either people or groups that, that met Jesus after he came back to life again, after he was resurrected. The first one he says was Peter. He says Cephas is the name he uses in here. Peter had a personality disorder, I think. He had went by multiple names. In this case, it's Cephas, but it's also Peter. The second person he talked to was his 12 closest disciples. The 12, his inner circle. He showed up and talked to them. The next group, third group, was 500 people. 
Paul wasn't there as a part of that 500 people, but he knew who some of those people were. And this is why I think that. He says that there were 500 people who saw Jesus resurrected, but then he said, but some of them have died. So he knew who died. He knew who was alive. He had talked to these people. So he knew their stories. They had seen Jesus. He saw He mentions James is next. And then five, he says the rest of the apostles. For those of you that know about the Pentecost, there were about 120 people gathered in the room that day. Apostles that had seen Jesus. That's who he's talking about here. But his last person, he says, is last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And then he repeats what I told you he did when he was Saul. He says... For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. We're just like everybody else, remember? I can't prove this. I know how I am. And I know how a lot of people are. Paul brings this thing up about persecuting the church over and over again. And he does it, I think, for one reason. He's not thinking. I kind of much know this. He does it for one reason because he's saying, this is what I was and this is what the Lord has rescued me into. But I think he brings it up too because there's guilt there. And he knows there's not supposed to be and God washes away all of our guilt and all that stuff. But you know, if I had a chance to go back, if I had a few mulligans I could play out over the course of my life, I'd go back and fix a few things. I really would. There are a few things that I'm ashamed of, wish I hadn't done. I think that's one of the things for Paul there. But now here's the punchline and this is what I want you to hear because this, this this is where it all comes to. Paul says, even though I've done those things, God has come to me and I am who I am. By the grace of God, I am who I am. With all this baggage, with all this stuff, God still came to me and changed me and rescued me. That's my story. I am who I am. I am who I am, people, warts and all. I am who I am. And that's my hope. I am who I am because God has saved me and he's making me into what he wants me to be. When I stop and I think back on my life, man, I can see some places where I was spectacular. (laughs) I'm telling you, y'all would have seen me and you'd go, that's my preacher right there. Yeah, boy, that's my man. Look at him. Look at what he did. I told you he was a good guy. You could turn the lights off and you'd see my halo glowing. I was that good. And within seconds, I'd be a punk. I am who I am. That's who I am. It's not who I want to be. But praise God, he came to that guy and rescued him from his self-destructive self to make me one of his children. Every Christian is that way. Left to our own devices, we would live our lives and we would die at the end of our lives, separated away from God completely, never reaching the level of happiness that God wants us to have. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that means is that he had a standard of happiness, a standard of contentment, a standard of peace that he wanted us all all to attain 
And not a one of us can get there because we know, you know, I know, whether you're Christian, whether you're not a Christian, you know, down deep in your heart, there's some dark places in there. There's some dark spots in that heart. And there are things that we've done that we know that are wrong. There's things that nobody else knows about. Thoughts, deeds that we've done that hide down deep in those recesses of our heart. So it is absolutely of most importance, of most importance, Paul says. You know, you go back to what he's written in, 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 uh, in 1 Corinthians, you go back to chapter 13, and he's telling us, told us all about what love is. For if I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If you ever been to a wedding, it doesn't matter whose wedding, just about that scripture's almost in there somewhere. It's how we're supposed to live each other. The very next chapter, he tells everybody how to do church. He says, don't act like crazy people in church because when people come in, you don't want them to think you're crazy. But then after he's told us all of that good stuff, he says, this is the most important thing for you to know. More important than any of that other stuff. This is the most important thing for us to know, that Christ died, was buried, and was resurrected. Now, I'm probably going to make my family mad here, and that's all right. Y'all get over it. And I ask all the rest of you to indulge me just a little bit. But I have three children, and my children are better than your children, and they always will be. My oldest is Anna. She is the most precious daughter that any one human being could have on the face of this earth. She is so high above everybody else at number one. There's not a number two. Everybody else has to start at number three. That's my Anna. My oldest boy is Ben. Ben is the smartest, most adventurous man that I have ever met in my life. He is courageous to a fault. And, uh, and I wish I could grow up to be like Ben. My third son is my youngest. It's Luke. Luke is the most determined. He is the kindest. And he is the most loyal person you will ever meet. If you are Luke's friend, you have no clue how loyal he is to you. He will defend you to the end. Even if you are wrong, that boy will defend you. He was born hearing impaired, which has its own little uh, issues. Um, getting out of bed when he was young, alarm clocks didn't matter. Luke slept through the best of them. Uh, noises at night. He never heard the noises, you know, the, the thump in the night that scares you to death. He didn't hear them. He slept right through all that stuff. So when it was time for breakfast, if you were in the kitchen and you said, Luke, time for breakfast, you might as well stick your head outside and yell for the dogs. He's not going to hear you. I remember many, many, many mornings going to Luke's bedroom and sitting down on the bed, sitting down on the bed beside my son. He didn't budge. I'd lean over and I'd put my lips very close to his ear. And I would gently shake him. And I'd say, Luke, 
hey, buddy, it's time to get up. And his eyes would open. You take that first big morning breath, you know, and he'd look at me, he'd smile. Yeah. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was asleep. He was dead. He was, he'd been beaten mercilessly. He'd been flogged to every inch of his life. He'd been made to carry his own cross, 100 pounds or more, on shoulders that had been flailed with whips. He was nailed to that cross, nails in his hands and nails in his feet, hung up naked. All of those pictures you see where he's got the little cloth around the middle, yeah, that's just so you don't get freaked out. Nothing as he hung there in front of his mother and all these people. And he hung there until he suffocated and until he died. That was on Friday. The clock started ticking. They took Jesus and they put him in a tomb that he had borrowed from somebody else, rich guy. They laid him on a slab that had been carved into the rock specifically for a dead body to lay on. They bound his body tightly in cloth and they put the traditional burial cloth over his face. Said their goodbyes. They walked out the door. They rolled a giant stone over the door and because the sanctimonious political people didn't trust anybody. They got Roman guards to stand outside and they put, they put a mark to keep it closed because they didn't want anybody to go in and steal the body. The clock's ticking. Friday night comes. Saturday night, God's in heaven. He looks down. He sees in that grave the body of his son laying there lifeless, cold to the touch. <clears throat> clock is ticking. Sunday morning comes and the alarm goes off. And God the Father sits beside his son on the stone slab. He leans over and he puts his lips right next to his courageous, obedient son. And he says, Jesus, wake up. We've got to show people what we've done. And Jesus took this lion's roar of a breath into his lungs. The grave clothes fell away. He set up in the cloth that they'd put over his face. He folded neatly and he set it across the room. He turns toward the door as the angels roll the stone away. And he walks into an eternal sunlight that will never, ever go dim again. Ever, ever. This is most important. This is our hope. This is who we are. This is why I can be who I am. And all the other Christians can be who they are because it doesn't depend on us anymore. It depends on him. Jesus called me. He called us. He forgave us of our sins. He made me a son of God. Jesus is my brother. No one can take it away from me. You can say anything you want to about it, but on my final day, at my final breath, I will meet my brother face to face in glory. Yes, that is what I know. 
That is my hope. So we're going to follow Jesus the best we can. We're going to keep trying. We're going to keep failing. But it's not up to us anymore. Jesus saved me. He saved me from the punishment that I was due for my sins. He saved me from a life that had no purpose. He saved me from a life with no hope. Jesus rescued me. He rescued me from myself. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. I don't mind being among the last. I'm just glad that I'm born again. Y'all pray with me. Father, we thank you. Oh, that sounds wimpy, don't it? Oh, Lord, how do you say thanks for that? Father, we, we praise you. We glorify your name. We, we lift you up. We, we see you in the heavens. We see the images in the scripture of you sitting on the throne. The fire, the lights, the lightning. We see Jesus among the lampstands. We see him opening the scroll. We see him on the white horse when he returns. We know that he will judge the quick and the dead. We love you, Father. We are so grateful. Lord, let us go from our homes, the places that we are today, anywhere we go from the place we are right this moment and remember what is most important when we see the crosses that we've erected in our lawns all across this land, help us not see a pretty cross that we go, oh, look at that. No, that we look at that and we remember that we remember that God is sovereign and he loves us so. That he gave his son to die, to be buried and to be resurrected so that I could be forgiven forever. And that I could be who I am because I am who I am. Redeemed. Saved by the blood of the Lamb. Please, Father, this day, this day, above all days, be glorified, be glorified, be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away. Thank you.